Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome into the Talking Tide podcast on the Belly Up Podcast Network. I'm Chase Goodbread, sports columnist with the Tuscaloosa News, joined by Travis Ryer, the longtime senior analyst at BamaOnline.com. Taking a look back at an epic 88th edition of the Iron Bowl. Of course, the Talking Tide podcast available to you at uh, YouTube or Facebook. We're live in both of those locales. We're on Apple Podcasts. You name it. Give us a click. Give us a link. Give us a follow and a like. Twitter feed talking underscore Tide and our fine local sponsors. Heat Pizza Bar, where we are in person. I am in person here for this uh Sunday nighter, taking a look at back at Alabama's uh, remarkable win over Auburn. Travis, of course, on as well. Travis no longer uh, um, not able to be with me right here at Heat, Travis. But as we launch into this uh, preview, I know where we were, where we both were on Saturday night, and that was watching every single play of this <laughs> Iron Bowl that turned out to be an, a, an absolute classic and. Uh, with a game like this, Travis, the only place to start is at the end. Work your way back if you want That's to. Right. I mean, you could essentially do the entire pod based on the fourth quarter and really just the last six or seven minutes of the game because so much transpired during that period. And you're right. This is a game that absolutely holds you captive for the full 60 minutes and sometimes then some when the game is played at Jordan-Hare Stadium. Jalen Milrow with the fourth and 31, the grave digger they call it. I've seen a few uh, New York Post-style headlines fly around social media, Travis. I'm sure you've seen a few of them uh, as well. My fave, I think, that I've seen so far, how about the disaster in the pasture? (laughs) Oh, the nightmare at Jordan-Hare. You can just uh, kind of take your pick of them at this point. And they're all fitting because Auburn, after that disastrous loss the previous Saturday to New Mexico State right there on the Plains, looked like it was ready to make its season, get that Hugh Freeze era off with a resounding success in the regular season finale. But... There was Alabama once again in the final moments doing what few teams have done in that situation, including previous Alabama teams. But boy, you look back at the game two years ago uh, with Bryce Young and what he was able to do to get that game into overtime where Alabama would win it. And then for what Milrow and the Alabama offense was able to do, the special teams too gave them the football there at about the Auburn 30 and set up that whole scenario I can't think of two more soul-crushing type of defeats that Auburn has suffered at home than what we've seen in the last two of these meetings played at Jordan-Hare Stadium. You talk about an opportunity to wipe clean a loss to New Mexico State. This would have done it for Hugh Freeze and then some. 
this would have made up for a couple of losses like that. Uh, so a lot of capital, even in year one. Look, coaches get hired and fired and bought out so fast now. You're spending capital from the day you get to town, right? And uh, uh, as much as you want to say capital with the fan base was on the line with Hugh Freeze even in year one, uh, he had a, a, a great chance to rake a big pot, let's say, uh, right there at the end of that game. X's and O's wise on this fourth and one, 31, Travis, one thing that stood out to me, I haven't heard it talked about a lot, but I don't understand for the life of me what the point is of spying Jalen Milrow fourth and goal from the 31. Auburn rushed two. They dropped eight. They spied one in the middle. And look, to my way of thinking, Spy does you no good because if Jalen breaks, he's got to go 31 yards if he yeah. crosses the line of scrimmage. You got all kinds of guys in the end zone who can come up and make a play, and they're not going to have to deal with the offensive line who won't be able to get there, right? So what's the you know, rush? If you rush three and drop eight, I get it. Rush four and drop seven, that might that might have been what I would have. That's probably what I would have done. But what's the spy doing? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm sure it's one that's going to be asked in that staff meeting room, uh, if it hasn't already, on this Sunday. But I'm with you, and I would drop eight there. I would have – and it's fourth and goal. Fourth and goal from the 31. Yeah. So the ball has to get to the end zone. has to be thrown into the end zone. has to be run into the end zone. You could have put eight guys with their heels on the goal line before the snap. And rush three, and if Jalen decides to run, as soon as he passes the line of scrimmage, you can come up like you're covering a punt you know, with eight guys and be able to make the tackle. But there was no way Jalen was running the football there. He was going to take the shot into the end zone. And all that two-man rush with a spy did was afford him more time to sort of get in sync with Isaiah Bond, who moved his way over towards that corner. And then he, he does deliver a perfect ball, though. I mean, that's exactly where that ball had to be thrown. I talked about it after the game. You know, how many times do you see that ball thrown out of the end zone, thrown out of bounds? In that situation with everything, the emotion and the importance of that moment, quarterbacks, especially at the, uh, at the college level, they don't always get the ball into the end zone where it needs to go. But right. to Jalen's credit, he did it. Phenomenal pass, no question about it. Isaiah Bond comes down with a couple of feet inbounds. I wish my vantage point from the Jordan Hare press box had been in that corner. Unfortunately, it was a long way away from that corner. Uh, but, used to be, uh, we would have been. You would have been on the fifty. Yeah, no, long, no, sir. no, 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 no. They no. figured that out. <laughs> they Just went like Alabama and everybody else figured out they were putting they, us up in the sky boxes on the yeah. 50 for far too long right yeah they bob country bunkered us on that no no you're not in a 50 no more uh, uh they so started yeah, doing some right, math right, right right there in that opposite end zone yeah a long way away but uh phenomenal play and for the snap to go awry right ahead of that and you got a penalty throwing the ball over the line of scrimmage couple of times on Milrow, including that sequence, it almost reminded you a little bit of second and 26, right? And that's that infamous sack that nobody really remembers now that Tua Tungvaloa took in, in a national championship game against Georgia. Uh, but this was twice as bad as second and 26. This was fourth and this was 10 times as bad as second and 26. It's fourth and 31. 
Yeah, I mean, it's the Iron Bowl, which in the state of Alabama ranks right there with the national championship game when it comes to stakes. But, yeah, I think that, you know, there's still sort of some residue, some residual thoughts on the misfire of the snap. You know, there's been some talk about Clapgate, I guess we can call it, with the Auburn defense maybe in that situation simulating the snap via claps. But, you know, you can go back into the third quarter and there was an issue with the snap. And it worked out okay because it essentially hit Jalen waist high. But he didn't clap. There was no – and I checked it. And there, there's no clap. This has been an issue throughout the season. So uh, this wasn't a one-off. I, I don't think it's been a situation where teams are uh, – I'm sure they're trying to on occasion. But with all the issues they've had with this, and you're still 12 games in, and okay, maybe you did get baited. But – it wasn't just that snap. It's been throughout the season. I don't know how you fix it. I know Nick's talked about how they've gone silent. Um, maybe you go old school with Peyton Manning. Remember Peyton, how he would pick that leg up, you know, right. kind of signal to the guard or the center uh, looking between. I don't know what you do. Right, but right. It, it finally should have gotten Alabama beat, whether it was a simulated clap or not. Right. Um, it, it finally probably should have gotten Alabama beat. And it's important to make the distinction here between an inaccurate snap and a premature snap, right? Yeah. And what, what we saw uh, against Auburn was a premature snap. Milrow wasn't ready for that. If he had been, it was it was catchable. And and I've gone back and looked at uh, not through 12 games, haven't done it for Auburn or UTC, uh, but I went back and, and, and added up bad snaps through 10 games, Travis. I came up with like 26 of them over the first 10 games. But like 23 or 24 of those at least were just inaccurate. And Jalen Milrow's got hands like a butterfly net. He handled almost with a couple of exceptions, right? He got good at it. Yeah. You know, he's, yeah, he, uh, he handles an inaccurate snap just fine unless it's just completely, you know, nowhere near the strike zone. Um, but a premature snap is twice as is much more dangerous than an inaccurate one because it's going to be a turnover more often than not. We saw it against Mississippi State on the one that bounced on Milrow's shoulder while he was looking toward the sideline, looking for a you know, looking for another play, uh, and, and and that's what this what this was. And and so I, the inaccuracies they've just about got that solved. I, I, yeah. I think McLaughlin's gotten that taken care of. But that there's a communication issue with this there's premature something. snap that, that that's got to be resolved. Yeah, and again, even in this game, if you go back, it's the third and three. I believe it's in the red zone, and it's a snap that catches Jalen by surprise. It just hits him in the midsection, and um, you know it's the play where Kendrick Law gets called for the peelback block or the crackback or the blindside, right. whatever they call it. Same play, and it starts with the snap, and Jalen on that play never claps his hands, and the ball goes back there to him. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm not sure what to attribute it to at this point, um, but again, it's it's amazing. This team to me is 11 and one for a couple of reasons, and maybe the snap issues is chief among them. Mm-hmm. Remarkable that that that's still uh, a snag this late in the year, and and. Uh, uh, boy, that that they've—it's it's something you can't. It's going—it's going to be a turnover as as often as it won't be 
if we're talking about something that the quarterback's not ready for. Yeah, they've been fortunate for the most part, no doubt. So, all right, moving on from that, uh, the Auburn, excuse me, the Alabama defense against the Auburn offense in this one, Travis. Auburn remarkably had its way on the ground with Alabama for the second Iron Bowl in a row and also the second Iron Bowl in a row where they really didn't have much of a passing threat at all. Uh, So, um, I don't know. I was surprised by the way Auburn ran it last year, probably even more surprised at how well they were able to run the ball this year in the Iron Bowl. Ended up it didn't matter. Alabama pulls out the win. But, uh, boy, Auburn's – if nothing else, Auburn has given the Alabama coaching staff plenty to consider when it comes to run stopping in the postseason. Yeah, and it started with the backs in the first half. It took actually Auburn a series or two to get into it. Auburn came out trying to throw the football, went three and out on its opening possession. That second possession, though, after Alabama got in the end zone, they stuck with it there from pretty much that point forward because three pass attempts or three dropbacks on the first three snaps, Auburn only threw 13 passes the rest of the way for the entire game because they got in sync with the run game. They had success in Tuscaloosa last year with perimeter runs especially. They were able to get that going early with both Hunter and Austin. And then in the second half, it was not as much the backs. Alabama seemed to clean some of that up, but then the quarterback becomes an issue off zone read and keeps and quarterback draws when teams go empty on offense and spread the field. And, you know, Alabama's trying to play coverage with its inside linebackers, and those guys get run out of there. We've seen it time and time again. So whereas the yardage wasn't as significant for Auburn in the second half, some of those Peyton Thorne runs in the second half felt like heavy, heavy body shots. <coughs> He did a lot of damage, no doubt about it. And, and uh, by the way, as long as we're talking about the quarterback position, hat tip in your direction for calling it that we'd see a little bit of a flash of Robbie Ashford. He popped in there. You kind of saw it coming. I didn't. Uh, I, I thought they'd flushed him entirely, but but they had a little something for him. Might not have been bad for Auburn to work him in even a little more, but like you said, Peyton Thorne ran it just fine. Uh, the quarterback draws, the decision-making. He's just, he, he, he knows how to get around. He's smart, he's instinctive, and he can also read it on the zone read. He was doing some of that on the keeps. Right. They had had one zone, outside zone, that was going to run right into a blitzing Caleb Downs. He kept it and then gutted Alabama the other way. So, smart guy, veteran guy, not dynamic, not excessively athletic, but not lumbering either. So, you know, a second and 17 that he hit, you know, in the game. Uh, inside the 10-yard line. So uh, when he did run it, 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 it seemed like Alabama felt it pretty good. Yeah, 15. he was officially 15 for 57 on the ground, which is certainly product, all the production you'd ask for from him on the ground. But, get, but that doesn't count. He was sacked four times for minus right. 28. You throw out the sacks, Travis, he ran for 85 yards game. He did. He gave them exactly what they needed. I mean, Ashford ran for over 100 in the Iron Bowl last year to go along with Hunter's 130-plus. So yeah. uh, Auburn didn't get to 300-plus in this game, but it felt like it at the half after they had already hit the 180 mark. Right. Um, you know, fell short at about 244, 245. 
Uh, but I'll give Alabama some credit, too, there in the second half, especially on the one red zone stop that they were able to get at about the five-yard line and force a field goal there down 21-20. Because if they don't do that, if Auburn gets in there and it's a 28-20 game, uh, it has a, a much different feel to it with Alabama still struggling to stay on the field offensively there in the fourth quarter. A lot of lead changes. It, it, it absolutely went back and forth. Uh, big for Alabama to get that touchdown to Burton early the, on the 68-yard touchdown pass that uh, uh, kind of, ha- you know, answered. And uh, it was uh, – Yeah, final it, three it, and a half minutes of the half, first half you had, what, it was a 10-7 game and then at the half it's 17-14. And that right. happened in you know, about three minutes there. Kind of a flurry, no doubt about it. All right, the Talking Tide podcast coming to you from Heat Pizza Bar in downtown Tuscaloosa, 2256th Street in Government Square. Frank Fleming and his wonderful staff here serve up the best pizzas in town. Full bar, flat screens all over the place. Glad to be here on a Sunday night recapping the Iron Bowl. Going to tell you a little bit more about Heat and Peterbrook Chocolatier of Tuscaloosa here in a few minutes. First, though, Travis. Uh, just to kind of wrap up a few footnotes from this Iron Bowl uh, roster-wise for Alabama, Ja'Cory Brooks didn't even dress. I noticed that. Um, so you you can only presume that shoulder injury that Nick Saban mentioned a week or two ago is uh, still a fairly significant issue. Um, and, and even though he hadn't been active as a receiver, he's a big special teams plus, I think, for Alabama. I don't think there's any doubt about that. So that's that's one to watch. Also, Jace McClellan aggravating a foot injury. Apparently, he was on a crutch uh, following the game. Nick Saban, um, non-committal in his uh, media teleconference remarks today about McClellan's availability for the Georgia game in Atlanta. Yeah, I thought Roydell Williams did a nice job of being decisive and physical in the run game. Problem for Alabama was that other than Milrow, not much in the way of explosive runs. The two longest runs for Alabama backs, an 11-yarder by Jace McClellan and an 11 by Roydell Williams. So that'll certainly be an interesting storyline to watch play out this week. And you mentioned the receivers. Really nothing uh, with uh, Kobe Prentice in this game either. And it was Isaiah Bond. It was Jermaine Burton um, and Kendrick Law with some yep. – with some Malik Benson, who had a, a nice grab there on a third and 17 on that first scoring drive for Alabama, a little crossing route that he pulled in and did some good stuff after the catch. You, you notice you notice it seems like all of Benson's routes are between the numbers. Does it not seem that way? At least the catches, yeah, not the no, routes. They are. They're those intermediate dig routes. And they were, if you go back to his junior college film, they were probably his best route. Now, he has mm-hmm. the speed to get over the top, but really good dig route type of option for Malik Benson. Pretty good size, uh, catch radius, uh, and, and he did some good things um, there in the middle of the field on that 33-yarder that helped set Alabama up for that 7 nothing lead. All right, the Talking Tide podcast on the Belly Up Podcast Network. The Twitter feed, of course, is talking underscore tide. Uh, going to thank our sponsors. Going to tell you first about Heat Pizza Bar right here where we're at. Want to get some great pizza? Come right down here to downtown Tuscaloosa. Frank Fleming and his staff 
will get you taken care of. They've got the standard. They've got the Thai chicken pizza. They've got a great margarita pizza down here. You've got to give a try to. Uh, I like the meat lovers. It's it's covered with meat, top to bottom. Great appetizers. They've got a crazy salad with fresh mozzarella down here. Jalapeno poppers. Great salads. And, of course, a full bar and flat screen televisions all around. Right now, Travis, watching a little NFL Sunday night football. Looks like that one's at the half, but just a great atmosphere down here at Heat. We invite our listeners and viewers uh, down here as soon as they can. Yeah, I mean, Frank and the crew, that Thai chicken pizza, that's my personal favorite. But as you can tell between Chase and myself, you can't go wrong with any of the great selections. Great salads, too. And that full bar, uh, they take great, great care of you. Customer service off the charts there at Heat Pizza Bar. I'm going to tell you about Peterbrook Chocolatier out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa. Never too early to go ahead and get those Christmas goodies right there at Peterbrook Chocolatier. We told you it is peppermint bark season. That is the case at Peterbrook Chocolatier. But that special someone is going to like any of the treats that you get them for Christmas during the holiday season. Peterbrook Chocolatier, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa. For 16 years, the champions of chocolate, Peterbrook Chocolatier. I'll be getting over there very soon, I promise you. Peterbrook Chocolatier, easily accessible right over there by Southern Ale House. It's a great combo, popping into Southern Ale for lunch and then popping over to Peterbrook to finish it off with something sweet uh, and uh, plenty of good holiday shopping to be done at Peterbrook as well. Uh, it'll be uh, this week, as a matter of fact, this coming week. I'll be uh, zipping in there and, and making a few fine purchases. All right, Travis, the SEC look around rivalry week, Florida State 24 to 15 over Florida. Let's start with that one. The Gators were in it late in the game, played better defense than I think either you or I thought they would muster. Uh, but uh, in the end, the Knowles pull it out. And of, of all of the rivalry week action, I felt like this game was probably the best opportunity for Alabama to get some help where the CFP is concerned. They'll have more chances to get help in conference championship Saturday. But for this weekend, I thought I just had a feeling that thing was going to be tight. And it was, but Florida could not hang on. They could not. Uh, they rode that home crowd early in the game. What 12, nothing the Gators led there and looked to be off to exactly the kind of start they needed couldn't sustain enough offensively. Um, I felt like if Florida State wanted to just hand the ball to Benson, their outstanding running back for pretty much the entirety of that game, they could get it done. But give Florida State a lot of credit. Without Jordan Travis at the quarterback position, here they are, 12-0. and Mike Norvell, ton of credit. That situation was not good when he inherited it. And the expectation, though, hadn't changed much. Yeah, it wasn't a good situation, but that fan base – expected results quickly and he's been able to do that for the most part so here goes Florida State to the ACC championship game with everything on the line as it relates to the college football playoff and maybe feeling even better about that now even without Travis because what about those Kentucky Wildcats in Louisville earlier on Saturday getting the job done for the fifth straight year 
over UL. Mark Stoops, who then later that night is rumored as being the next head coach at Texas A&M. It doesn't play out that way. It's going to be Elko going from Duke back to A&M. Just a lot of stuff going on Saturday, good bread. That UK-Louisville game, here's all I got to say about that. So I'm watching a clip from that one. It was a clip of the variant. It was a clip of that kickoff return for a touchdown that Kentucky had in that game. And Travis, you and I, I know you and I both enjoy the cutaways to the crowd in, in moments like that in these SEC games. So they cut away to this Kentucky fan. He is all by himself in an absolute sea of red, a sea of red. And he comes with double upside down L's and does like 360 60 degree bunny hops, you know, <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a quick, in a tight little circle without, you know, without intruding spatially, you know, he stayed, he stayed where his seat was, but uh, he let them all know. Yeah, I've been to that stadium. It's been many years ago, but one of the things that surprised me wasn't so much that they served bourbon or whiskey, but they served at the time those Jack Daniels country cocktails in stadium back <laughs> yeah. in the day. This is Oof. before alcohol sales really at any any university yeah. type stadium I had ever been to. This is late yeah. 90s. They had to jump on yeah. this. Cube up them limes and put them right next to the ketchup and mustard pack. Yeah, I mean, third quarter cutoff <laughs> was in effect at UL. So, yeah, I'm sure the, the fans, even for an early kickoff, weren't feeling much pain up there. Egg Bowl, got to touch on the Egg Bowl. We love the Egg Bowl here on the Talking Tide podcast. I do anyway. Travis, you do too. Admit it. The Egg Bowl is is yeah. uh, it's a it's a must watch, is it not? It is there for the folks that are stir crazy by that point does, of Thanksgiving it, evening. Does it qualify as what our old friend, the late Greg Larson, used to like to call appointment television? I think it does because, you know, kind of what else are you going to do at that point? Although you had the NFL up against it Thanksgiving night, right? So right. you did have that option, but I'm always going to watch the Egg Bowl. And looks like we've got a new coach at Mississippi State, Jeff Levy. Seen him in the Southeastern Conference that. before. Yes. Ole Miss worked with Lane, then went on to Oklahoma, and now looks like he's going to be the next head coach in Starkville. Georgia 31, Georgia Tech 23. That one tight for a while. Vad McConkey didn't go. Brock Bowers did not go. Travis, we've talked about the, their health you know, on a couple of previous podcasts and the importance of their health. Sounds like Bowers could have gone if they'd have really needed him. Um, and I, I fully expect to see uh, a, a, a tough to deal with Brock Bowers in the SEC title game. McConkie, who knows? Yeah, that sound, it's been that way with McConkie all season, even going back to the, the preseason. I guess he had back issues, and you know he's a big part of what they do. He's so good in both the quick game and the vertical game. They can hand it to him. You saw Alabama give up a touchdown on an end-around against Auburn, I'm sure that Mike Bobo, the Georgia offensive coordinator, took note of that because Georgia yeah. loves those to Bowers or McConkie or the wide receivers. So, uh, you know, Georgia is kind of a no-name running game this year. You know, you think about Georgia's backs this season, and they're not those guys like a DeAndre Swift or some of the guys that they've had Nick Chubb in the past. Right. But it seems like they still continue to run the ball pretty effectively. That being said, I was impressed with Georgia Tech. I thought that was a solid showing, understanding that Kirby held a couple of guys out. Um, 
you know, Tech is doing some good things under Alabama's old offensive line coach, Brent Key. It's a good point. Usually there are a couple of real monsters in the offensive backfield running back-wise for Georgia. Uh, this year it's more of a situation by committee. They definitely don't have a Ty Gurley type or just some kind of uh, Titan back there. Uh, but, but yes, but, you know, gosh, the history of good tight ends at Georgia and Brock Bowers is as high on that list, I think, as anybody you want to name is unbelievable, too. Uh, would you say Georgia is more of a tight end you or an RB you? Gosh, I mean, when you go back to Herschel, you know, that's pretty strong at the running back position. And some of the guys that we just outlined here in the last 12 to 15 years have been uh, yeah. been pretty good. No Sean Marino even, you know, yeah. he's a guy no one talks about. But in the late aughts, you know, he was the talk of college football there for a minute. So um, I would probably still lean – running backs more than tight ends at Georgia, but it's not just Bowers. You've got Delph you've got to deal with in that Georgia offense, and right. uh, they'll go 12 personnel, sometimes 13 personnel, uh, and get you in those tighter formations, but then they're athletic. They're like a much more athletic Michigan is the way I like to kind of sum it up. If you think that it's going to be just this phone booth and three yards in a cloud of dust, you're going to be in for an unpleasant surprise because Georgia can still hit you with the explosives. How about Shannon Mitchell for an old Georgia tight end that can play for you? Travis? That's going he back. They've had there. some good tight ends, man. He, he, he was kind of a flex guy before flex guys were cool, right? Jim Donnan liked tight ends too. I think he yeah. was an old tight end coach maybe at his core at some point. But um, you're right. Polk, you know, yeah, Leonard Pope. Bad. They've always had tight ends. Thought they were going to have Eric Gilbert for a second there yeah but uh, so so did everybody <laughs> that didn't really pan out no, unfortunately sir. for eric yeah all right that is going to do it for this fine edition of the talking tide podcast on the belly up podcast network join us uh here midweek wednesday night travis and i will preview alabama's upcoming sec championship game tilt against the georgia bulldogs from Heat Pizza Bar, outstanding Zai here in downtown Tuscaloosa in Government Square, 2256th Street. And we'll, uh, and Peterbrook Chocolatier of Tuscaloosa as well. For Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com, I'm Chase Goodbread of the Tuscaloosa News. We'll talk to you midweek right here on Talking Tide.